Hi everyone, welcome to the second season of Mindboggers True Crime Series. We have been on a break for a couple of months now and aside from being busy, we took you guys' advice, feedbacks, and reviews and decided to kind of renew and improve this podcast in order for it to suit a broader audience. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we love making this podcast and without further ado, let's jump into today's case. Before we talk about the case, just a reminder that this is one of the heaviest cases at least I've ever heard in my life, and it is for sure not for the lighthearted, so trigger warning and viewer's discretion is advised. I feel like after hearing about this case, you will view the internet very differently. For me, it was an eye-opening of like how much I don't know about the internet and how little we're exposed to the real internet and the real dangers that can come because of it. And you'd be surprised at how much messed up people that are hiding inside of it right now. Because listen, we're talking about the worst kinds of people and they are in the dark web. We're talking about people who would torture toddlers for their sexual gratification who would take a video of it and who would share it and that video at one point would get 400,000 hits a day 400,000 messed up people a day 400,000 people watch a video yeah 400,000 people and that multi-part video is so extreme that for some time people thought it was an urban legend and these people these people who makes these types of videos the people who would share it people who would like watching it These people are living among all of us. They have wives, they have kids, they have long-term girlfriends, they have stable jobs, and they have such a normal front. It's so scary. These are the type of people in the dark web, and we're going to be talking about it today. Okay, so I know that everyone has probably heard of like how the surface web is only the tip of the iceberg and that there are so much part of the internet that are not accessible for regular people like the deep web or the dark web. So if you don't already know about the surface web, the deep web and the dark web, let me tell you a little bit about it. The surface web is basically just what we use on a regular basis, like our social medias or emails, whatever that is accessible to the public. And it actually only consists of 10% of the information that is on the internet. And so where's the rest of the 90%? Well, it's in the deep web. Now, the deep web is a part of the internet that are not indexed by standard web search engines. So the things that show up on Google or Bing or whatever search engines that you use, it's not going to show the non-indexed contents. So these are like sites that are not registered to any of the search engines, so they're basically just hidden. And now the dark web. The dark web is essentially a part of the internet that is purposely hidden and they have all these encryptions and overlay networks that require specific softwares and authorization to access. A lot of illegal activities usually uses the dark web because they can conduct their business anonymously without giving up information such as their location, their IP address, But only for the people who can do it right, you know? Like, if you don't have enough knowledge of the dark web, you could actually put yourself in a lot of danger. Now, most times when the deep web is mentioned, people always refer to something called Tor or Tor browser. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it, but I've never used it. Have you used it? I've downloaded it, but I didn't know what to do with it. Well, I didn't know what it was, but now I do. So Tor is actually short for the Onion Router and a lot of people think that this is like a special tool to access the dark web, which is 
you know, it's not wrong. But it's also a browser that makes it more difficult to trace the internet activity of the user. Well, why is it called the, on- the onion router? Is it because you have to peel it layer by layer to get what's inside? Ooh, that's good. Maybe, maybe so. I don't know. It was created by the U.S. government. Okay, uh-huh. anyways. Basically, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but everything that we do in the internet is traceable. You made a fake account to follow girls in bikini? Traceable. Traceable. You made a fake account to say mean things to someone or to leave mean review on something? Traceable. Traceable. Okay? Words hurt. (laughs) Words hurt. And they're traceable. Like, the people can know that it's you, and yeah, VPN can help, but it's still traceable. You leave marks everywhere, even when you delete your browser's history, even when you delete your account, you're still traceable. No one is safe. No one is safe. And so, because of this information, the US government made the Onion Router, and the purpose of that is to conceal a user's internet usage from anyone conducting network surveillance or traffic analysis. So basically, with Tor, it'll be harder for people to trace your internet activity. Now, with Tor, you can also access Onion sites, and these Onion sites are sites that make both the information provider and the people accessing the information more difficult to trace, whether by one another, or by an intermediate network host, or even by an outsider. The point is, a lot of people use it for a lot of different reasons. It goes as normal as just wanting DuckDuckGo as a default search engine to, like, things that are highly illegal, you know? You guys can do your own research about the whole onion situation by yourself because we're going to be talking about the dark side of the dark web. I'm going to put another trigger warning because it's going to get really, really disturbing. So if you're easily uncomfortable, viewer's discretion is advised. So you have probably heard of like a glimpse of the dark side of the dark web, like people selling drugs or weapons or everything, right? Not me, I've never seen it. But you've heard of it. You've heard of like what the dark web can do, like all of these just insane stuff and illegal stuff, yes. But one of the biggest illegal activity that is happening in the dark web is child pornography, where a lot of the underage kids that are involved in this crime are most of the times victims of human trafficking. We'll get into that later, but let's begin this story by introducing you to 52-year-old Peter Scully, aka the world's worst pedophile and the creator of Daisy's Destruction. Now, Daisy's Destruction is the video that I told you guys about in the beginning of the episode. The video that was so horrifically extreme that for some time people thought it was an urban legend. So, Peter is an Australian and he lived in the suburb of near Warren in Melbourne with his wife and two kids. So yes, he has a wife and two kids and he was actually known as a wealthy family man. Now, sources didn't really say too much about the wives and kids, so we just assume that they didn't know about Peter Scully's double life. Because in 2011, he fled to Manila, Philippines, before he could be charged for his involvement in a property scheme that cost investors over $2.68 million. And then he moved to Manila with that money? Yeah. And so he was a con man. 
and the Australian Securities and Investment Commissions found out that he was actually involved in 170 fraud relating to real estate scams. He's a pretty good scammer then. Never caught after 100 scams? Yeah, the world is crazy. Anyways, other than that though, he also operated an unlicensed online escort service which offered his Filipina girlfriend as a sex worker. So he had a Filipina mistress in Australia and he used to sell her out, or in other words, pimped her out to other people before he fled to the Philippines. And this is just, you know, a disgusting thing on its own. At this point, you would know that he's just... A scumbag. Yeah, he's a scumbag. He's kind of a bad person already, right? Yeah. And so he was a wanted man who succeeded to escape to the Philippines. And like the Australian police is aware of this fraudster, right? And it was sort of like a helpless situation for them because they couldn't like search the whole Philippines just so they can arrest Peter Scully, right? Because they have so many things to do, so many things that are more important. But the thing is, no one could ever guess that he's about to be wanted globally for the most horrific crimes against children as young as 18 months old. A- 18 months old? 18 months old. So one, one and a half years. A year, six, yeah. One and a half years old, yes. What? That's crazy. So after he arrived in the Philippines, he decided that he was going to make a lucrative international child sexual abuse ring that offered a pay-per-view video streams of children being sexually abused and tortured on the dark web. Whoa, pay-per-view. And then you said it was 400,000 a day? Um, this wasn't the 400,000 a day. This was 30,000 a day. This was 30,000. That's still a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so... You know, the first thing that he did was he picked up two street kids to be his girlfriends. Basically, street kids are the term for the kids who lives in the street due to poverty. And this is a whole other heartbreaking issue on its own. But yeah, you see a lot of people living in the streets here in Indonesia too. So I'm just going to give people context, you know, on why the girls would eventually obey Peter Scully, in my opinion. Because... It's so weird that they at one point even said that they felt safe around him even after he would sexually exploit them and abuse them and he would sell these girls like these teenage girls to a whole lot of different men for days at a time. But at the same time, he would also take care of them and give them food and shelter, right? And because Peter, as a wealthy man who can provide for them, I feel like he took their vulnerability for granted. He was grooming them into abusers. And when I say abusers, they're going to do something really, really bad. I mean, like you can see from like the interviews that these girls were kind of clueless in a sense. You know, they would call Peter the American when he clearly has a thick Australian accent. They even described Peter as this responsible, caring man because they feel like they're lucky enough to not have to worry about the next meal. Peter gave them a sense of stability, right? And these are vulnerable girls, you know? Yeah, I bet he took advantage of their naivety. Yeah, he absolutely did. And so, yeah, these two girls ended up living with Peter and later on will help picking up other street kids for Peter with a false promise of giving them food or promise that they'd be taken care of. But in reality... 
these kids were only going to be victims of child pornography. Now, the two girls also helped with abusing the victims for the videos, so they were heavily involved in the crime as abusers. And these girls, they were not even an illegal age when he found them, but they were 18 and 19, I believe, when they were charged for their crimes. Now let's talk about Daisy's destruction. Again, trigger warning because it gets pretty graphic. So Daisy's destruction was made in 2012 and it's a multi-part film that has four parts in total and it was sold for $10,000. So you have to pay $10,000 to view it. To view all four parts. $10,000 to view yes. all four parts. Oh my God. Yeah, so he was making a fortune, right? And so this video involved two women who were wearing masks and these two women are the two girlfriends of Peter Scully that we were just talking about. And then you have one man whose face was heavily pixelated during the entire thing, who is not often on camera. So he's more like the director, like behind the scenes guy, right? And the two girls, they were doing most of the physical and sexual torture to the victims. And Peter Scully would eventually just come in to rape the victims. Now, the video has three different victims by the names of, and these are the names given from the video right these are i don't know if this is the real names i don't know but these are the names that are stated in the video we have 12 year old lila 11 year old cindy and 18 months old daisy so daisy was tied upside down in most parts of the video and she was sexually assaulted she was raped she was beaten and they would even pour hot wax on her private areas and there were lighters involved and there were wires involved and i don't think we need to talk about this um in a deeper you know yeah yeah we don't, don't need to we don't need to talk who, about this who, because who, this who gets is, off from this who well oh a lot of people you would be surprised this is just a very you know disheartening thing i'm sending prayers to the victims i can't imagine the mental and physical trauma they had to go through you know and so now you might be thinking, who would watch that, right? You know, like, who in the right mind would be aroused by that? Like, not even aroused. Who in the right mind could even watch that kind of yeah. video till the yeah. end? Like, who would in the right mind? This is something that will make your stomach turn because Daisy's destruction is not the first of its kind. It sure is the worst of its kind, but there are actually hundreds of thousands of child pornography rings in the dark web even until this day. And Daisy's oh. destruction is actually a part of this genre called hurtcore. And yes, you heard me right. It's hurtcore and not hardcore. Two different things because one of them is highly illegal. One of them is highly illegal and one of them is... One of them is just kinky. One of them though is <laughs> highly illegal, you know? <laughs> So, okay. hardcore is a name given to a particularly extreme form of child pornography, usually involving degrading violence, bodily harm, and child sexual abuse. You'd be surprised at how many people that are sick in the mind, like sick-minded, to the point that they are into this. But the thing with like hardcore is that these people would only watch it if the victims are true victims, meaning that these children, or even toddlers, they are children and toddlers who are not willing participants. So, true victims. 
And in 2013, there's a dark web website called Hurt to the Core, and it was the dark web's most notorious hurt core forum. And the creator of the Hurt to the Core is actually known to be the king of hurt core. So he had like an entire pedo empire, right? Like, and everybody who was into hurt core was obsessed with him. And so the weird thing about this whole situation is that a lot of like other pedos in the dark web are trying to denounce this genre because they were saying that it's too much. And like, listen, any kind of pedophilia is absolutely disgusting. And I hate pedophiles, you know, like they're, I hate them. Like they're disgusting. But reporters say that the way we as a normal human being, you know, people who are not pedophiles we as people who are not pedophiles the way we see pedophiles are the way the regular pedophiles see hurtcore loving pedophiles regular quote-unquote pedophiles (laughs) so there are levels there are layers to this no i mean they're all bad you know so you can imagine So you can imagine how insanely horrific it is that even the worst kinds of people, aka pedophiles, are against you. Like you literally belong in hell. And so these hurt core sites would post all sorts of crazy things. They would post images and videos of children getting tortured and it would get about 15,000 downloads on a daily basis. And like... In websites like Hurt to the Core, they have a variety of membership. Like you can be a regular member and you'd only be shown like pictures. And then there's this thing called the producer's lounge, which essentially these are for the people who produce CP or child pornography. And if they upload enough contents, they'd get access to secret videos, etc. And not everyone can get in there. You can't just be a viewer. And this is one of the many obstacles of the FBI and other federal government's agents when they try to stop crimes in the dark web or like crimes like this is that not only that these criminals are very, very hard to trace because again, it's the dark web, but because this is like a very complex and organized crime. And in order for you to know everything and dive in into the whole thing, you'd need to do some crime yourself. And of course, the government wouldn't do that. When we talk about like people who enjoys hurtcore, what do you think they look like? Like you'd probably think that these people, you know, would look disgusting they would like yeah, they're course. creepy looking they would probably don't have a life they would probably have a pedo mustache oh, and, what yeah, a right? stereotype what do you think I, I don't know they could be the most normal looking people i i expect them to not look like a pedo because why would you try to look like a pedo uh, it's always the people that you least expect them to why would you want to look like a pedo? That's true. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're right. Because let's talk about Matthew Falder. Matthew Falder is actually the first case that is successful for prosecution because of hurt core by national crime agencies. Matthew is obsessed with hurtcore. He loves it. And you think that he probably looks like an old creepy grandpa who's obsessed with kids. But no, he was actually 29 at the time he was arrested. He has a PhD. He graduated from Cambridge. He has a stable job, a long-term girlfriend, and he was known to be witty and full of life and people absolutely loved him. 
He was working as a postdoctoral researcher and lecturer in geophysics at the University of Birmingham, and he was also living the life. You know, he was he was everything anyone could yeah. ever want to be. He's an intelligent man. Yeah, he's very smart. He has everything going on in his life. And so he began his crimes as long as 2009, and he did not meet any of his victims because all of his crimes were committed using the dark web. So he would manipulate young children to take pictures of themselves without any clothes on, and then offer their images to the dark web. And the way he does this is, well, let's talk about one of his victims. So one of his victims was a 12-year-old girl who had posted an ad on Craigslist saying that she was looking for a dog to adopt, and Matthew would pretend to be another 12-year-old girl to befriend her. And after talking with the victim for a few days, he would ask her to take a picture without any clothes on, so that he would buy her any dog that she wanted. And you know, once the victim sends the picture, he would use that picture to blackmail them for other pictures, and it would go worse and worse and worse. And after that, he would ask his victim to do all kinds of these crazy things, like real humiliating situations. For example, taking a picture of themselves without any clothes on while licking the public toilet, or even worse, licking a used tampon. And at one point, he even blackmailed one person into raping a four-year-old child, and that person ended up doing it. That's that's fucked up. One of his victims was only 14 years old, and he stated online that he would willingly mentally mess her up, and also said that he doesn't care if she lives or dies. He had about 50 victims, and at least 10 of the victims attempted to commit suicide, including the 12-year-old girl who was looking for a dog to adopt. Man, that's 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 too much. That's a lot. He was arrested in his office at his place of work on June 2017, and they took 30 minutes to read out a list of his offenses. It's like you know. Matthew Felder, you are charged for this and this and this, and it took them 30 minutes to read all of his crimes. And he <laughs> said that it sounded like a rap sheet from hell. He realizes too that it's from hell. Yeah, he realizes that it's bad. He knows what he was doing, and so he pleaded guilty to 137 charges from 46 different victims, making him one of the UK's most prolific convicted. Sex offender, and in February 2019, he was jailed for 32 years, but then it was reduced to only 25 years, which is insane to me. Like it's so unfair. That's too low. I feel like a life sentence is adequate. I don't know why they would sentence him that low. I don't even know. Let me just look into that later, actually. So these are the types of people. In the dark web, the people who participate in this hurtcore community—they're living among us, and they have a normal front, which is scary. That is what makes it scary. They look so normal. And so, speaking of hurtcore, we're going to be talking about the creator of hurtcore now. Why? Because he plays a big role in this case too. Basically, what he did was he kind of removed the paywall to Daisy's destruction. A paywall is when you need to pay to like view or download something on the internet. He removed the paywall to Daisy's destruction and posted it in his website, Hurt to the Core, for everyone to see. And now this is actually how the FBI found out about the video and found how horrendous it is. And 
it actually leads to the arrest of Peter Scully. So the creator of Hurtcore, again, what would you think he would look like? Again, always something unexpected. Well, he's actually a 21-year-old college student. 21-year-old? Yeah. He is he's younger actually, than me! He is. I'm not even finished talking, but hey. You know, he's a 21-year-old college student by the name of Matthew D. Graham. He's younger than you. Yes, he's even younger than you at the time he was arrested. So can you believe it? So like, how did it all start? You know, when did it all start? Well, he started when he was 18. And it was all because he was exploring the edgy and occasionally illegal posts on the website called 4chan. I feel like we all know what 4chan is. It's basically just a meeting place for young hackers, trolls, meme makers, or whatever, right? It's like, uh, it's like a, a more uncensored Reddit. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, you could say that. And in 2011, he found out about the hacking group Anonymous. You know about Anonymous, right? So Anonymous were launching cyber attacks on one of the biggest dark web child porn site called Lolita City. Anonymous wanted to bring down that service. They wanted to bring down that child pornography ring and expose its users to the police. And it was called Operation Darknet. Oh, so they were like vigilantes, hacker vigilantes. They're called the hacktivist, so they're like hackers, activist, Ah, you know? And Matthew, being a year 12 student at that time, he was intrigued. He had never heard of Lolita City. He had never heard of, like, the dark web. So he digged deeper into it. And soon enough, he discovered that there are so much you don't know about the internet. And he discovered about the worst and the most secretive creatures on the internet. And those creatures are the ones who make and the ones who trade in child pornography. So Matthew, at first, he said that he felt ashamed of this attraction towards children. He said, and I quote, It wasn't until I came across the dark web pedo community that I was able to feel comfortable with my own attractions. With my attractions. Oh, so he's already attracted to kids in the first place. I feel like because he stumbled across that anonymous thing in 4chan, he kind of realized it. He kind of realized his attraction at that point, you know? Okay. All right. And so he ended up making one of the biggest child pornography ring in the dark web and a pedo empire with hundreds of thousands of members who would share images and videos of brutally abused children and toddlers on a daily basis. Now, this is the thing that I was talking about, 400,000 hits a day. Like his pedo empire got so big that at one point it hit 400,000 hits a day yeah. and they're living among us too you don't know like it could be your neighbor it could be your professor mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and in that forum they would also share like these guides like how to be a pedophile 101 how to not be caught being a pedophile how to look for children to groom and you know and so on and so on and he was known as lux in the dark web and he was massively popular in the child pornography community. Which at this point, the FBI was already looking for him. They were trying so hard to trace him. They were trying to find someone who is behind this Lux person, you know? And then one day, he decided that he was going to flex on 4chan. 
That's kind of stupid. Mind you, again, 4chan is a public website. Like everyone can access it. It's not like it's not gonna hide your IP address. You're completely traceable. And so yeah. he was flexing to some of these people that he was Lux, Lux from the dark web. Because if you know the dark web, you know who Lux is. And soon after, the FBI found out about it and they traced his IP address and he was arrested. And you know, at first, the police thought it was like his dad because his dad was in his fifties, and the police just thought it was, you know, it made more sense if the pedophile was a creepy old man. But then they realized that they couldn't find Matthew's internet footprints anywhere. He seems like he knows a lot about the deep web, like how the deep web works, right? Because it was untraceable, and there's no way because he's like a teenager. He he must have a Twitter or a Facebook at least. But he doesn't, and it's kind of sus. So they were right about that hunch. Matthew is actually the person behind Lux, right? And so they arrested him, and they asked him to unlock his computer, but Matthew refused. And so then they asked him to unlock his phone, and because Matthew thought that he had nothing, you know, illegal in his phone, so he unlocked it. And after investigating, in his cached photo. Storage. They found three images: two images of dead children, and one image of a baby being stepped on. And all of those pictures are for his dark web website. So he's caught and guilty. Wait, wait I, I don't get. Don't they have a warrant to search the whole place? Why couldn't he? They force him to open the computer. Um, I guess they didn't have the rights for that. So they have three of those images, and yes, those three images can get him to jail. But they needed more evidence. They needed him to be locked up for a long time. So now they have the rights to search his belongings, and they found two hard drives that are then sent to the Europol and the FBI in the Washington D.C. And neither of them could unlock it. What? That's crazy. So it took them like an old school interrogation tactics for him to finally crack, and gave them a 64 random character passcode to open his computer. They did not unlock his hard drive, but they did unlock his computer. He's now in jail for 15 years since late 2014, I believe, and the police described him as a non-contact pedophile, meaning that although he allegedly facilitated abuse, he did not physically do it himself. Thankfully, though, using his network, they were able to save 30 children from child pornography. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, that's good. But 30? Yeah. Is, is that too? Is that too little? I mean, they're doing the best that they can. Yeah, it's course, very hard to trace,、yeah. right? And at the time, he was still living in the family home, right, in a quiet street in South Morang, Australia. His parents sold the house almost immediately after he was charged, and the new owners reported that they found a graffiti scrawled inside a bedroom wardrobe that said, "Parents should be afraid of raising children like us." And you know what he said about why he did what he did? What? He said that he believes in freedom of speech, and he said that his attraction and all of these people in his community's attraction towards children and looking at children getting tortured is a form of freedom of speech. And he was just giving them a platform to voice their freedom of speech. That's a sick, sick way of saying what freedom is. No, that's just crime. What? <laughs> Uh, nice try, nice try, Mike Matthew. 
nice try nice try and it's so crazy because for someone who made like all these sites in the dark web and it's not like an it's not an easy task you know making sites in the dark web it's not an easy task you make multiple sites oh yeah, yeah. and you're like really intelligent to the point that the fbi and the europol can't even crack your hard drive and to have that logic is kind of stupid for him you know like yeah it's kind of silly you're kind of flawed there and so matthew was also a babysitter at that time and he had direct access to six children one of the mother of the children said that she felt sick to the stomach when he was arrested of course (laughs) what did he do anything to those uh he didn't do anything to the children he didn't do anything illegal to them he was just a babysitter but still as the parent i feel like thought of it the thought of it like it could have been it yeah. could have happened like so the scary. thought of it you know yeah yeah and so why is matthew d graham pertinent to the story well peter scully the creator of daisy's destruction actually had his own website in the dark web and it is called no limits fun or nlf and he sells the daisy's destruction video on his website for ten thousand dollars and people actually buy them the majority of people buying the video is from the US, Germany, and Brazil. And like I said, Matthew D. Graham hacked the paywall and leaked it in his Hurt to the Core website for everyone to see, and it started to blow up. It was shared throughout the entire world in different oh. types of chat rooms, in the dark web, okay. in the deep web, and it even got popular in the surface web. Well, of course, you can't really watch the video if you're on the surface web, but everyone was talking about it. That's why like regular people thought it was an urban legend because of how crazy it sounds, right? It was all over Reddit. It was all over 4chan and people would talk about it if they would talk about like a gossip almost they would talk about it as if this was a gossip when in reality it's 100% real and it 100% happened yeah 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 and so the dutch national child exploitation team was the first to open an investigation with the goal of locating the victims and soon after it became an international manhunt of people inside of the video federal agencies were doing everything they could to trace them they caught all of them right all of them as what the one the people in the video they didn't caught any oh they were untraceable and the only reason you just have to hear it out we'll get into that later and so at this point all they had all the clue they had to like trace these criminals and to save these victims is the video they were analyzing the video for clues on where could the video was taken like the nationality of the people and everything right and this investigation took years And as the federal agencies are doing their thing, trying to trace the whole Daisy Destruction's craziness, Peter was out there in the Philippines making more child pornography. And there's this one thing called the grave incident. So he asked one of his girlfriends to go and take two other street kids because he said that he wanted to adopt them. Not legally, but like to give them food and to give them a shelter and to take care of them. And he said specifically, he said specifically that they had to be 9 and 12 years old and his girlfriends found two kids with the exact age 
and their cousins. The cousins arrived and they were fed food, and immediately after eating the food, Peter told them to undress and perform sexual acts to each other. He photographed and he filmed everything and he put it in the dark web. And for the next five days, he would do this and he would rape them as well. And these videos are pay-per-view videos, by the way, so he was making a fortune. And at one point, the victims were crying and screaming so much because they wanted to escape. And Peter eventually made them dig their own grave and wore dog collars because he was just threatening them like, if you don't quiet down, you know, you will see the end oh, of it. Just, he just threatened them. He, he just threatened them. Okay. He, did, he didn't bury them alive. But imagine the mental scar that you would get from that. And so one of his girlfriends was back after five days of being pimped out. So she was sold to different men again. She saw the two cousins in dog collars and she decided to let them go because she said that it was oh, too much. Now she feels it's too much. But too late there? Why now, you know? Yeah, I don't know. And so the two cousins left and they immediately went to the police and they told them everything. And the Philippines police arrested him. Like the people who are like searching for him, like tracing him from the internet, from the video, they couldn't get to him. They couldn't get where he was, who he was. He, they didn't, they can't. They were trying so hard uh -huh. and it took years. And if it wasn't for the girlfriend letting the kids go, he wouldn't be caught. And so in 2015, Peter Scully faced a total of 75 charges and according to German television news channel, he was alleged to have sexually abused 75 different children. The project coordinator for the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime and an expert on child abuse investigations described this case as horrific and the worst she has ever heard of. His crimes were deemed so severe that some prosecutors supported the reintroduction of the death penalty as the punishment for Peter Scully, despite capital punishment being abolished in the Philippines since 2006. But he did not get capital punishment. He got a life sentence in prison. Okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was the case of Peter Scully, the world's worst pedophile and the dark web's repulsive world of hurtcore. 